What I'm going to talk about here is in Deuteronomy where it says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Um, in that text, the word blessing in life means to be cut or to be pierced. Now, at first that sounds bad. But if you look at those words, to be cut means to be chosen. Like all are called, but few are chosen. And pierced means the same thing as when a, a man knows a woman and enters into blood covenant because the hymen has been pierced in order for him to deposit his seed so his heritage can come forth. So that's the word blessing in life. It's not just, oh, happy day. It means to be pierced. To be cursed or death in that context literally means to vilify God. So how do we vilify God? We vilify God when we accuse anyone or anything, including the devil. Because to accuse the devil indirectly is also to accuse God. How? Well, God made the devil, or God made the serpent, or God put the tree in the garden, or God did these things. And if God knew all and could perceive all and could foresee all, was he somehow not privy to the information that his children would eat from the tree? Or did he not care? Was he indifferent? Or what was he thinking when he made the tree and put it there and then told him not to eat it if God was aware that the power of sin is the law? So by putting the law on his own children, did he not know it was going to occur and could he not have avoided it? Could he not have prevented it? So that means to vilify God when you accuse. What did Adam and Eve do after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They blamed each other. They blamed the devil. And then, God, you gave her to me. See, even if we don't consciously go through that thought process, that thought process is still inside of us at a subconscious level. So when we don't see God in all things... We're actually vilifying God. Now that could bring some controversy. I'm okay with that. I don't mind controversy or discussion or debate. But if when I got honest with myself, I really had to realize that, especially when I suffered a lot, God, where are you? God, why have you let me down? God, why have I prayed and I've served you and I've done all the things that I've been taught in the word and been taught by my leaders. And still I'm not being blessed. What's wrong? So part of me knows that God is love. And that it must be me. It must not be God. But I couldn't figure out the answers. But when you really pay attention and you, and you listen to your emotions and you let God lead you through them... What happens is you begin to face your truth. And your truth boils down to who we blame. How do we see things? Does God love me? Do I feel loved by God? Or is God somehow still waiting for me to get good enough so he'll bless me? Which makes love a trade. And love is not a trade. Love has never been a trade. So in asking God, God, why... Why are these things being withheld? Why are we not walking in the blessing? One of the things that the Lord showed me was to bless that way of thinking is to support it and to endorse it. 
And to bless that way of thinking would nullify the very definition of love. Because love is not a, an action or a thing that we do. Love is a person. And the way that that, that person makes us feel when we're with that person, or when we're conscious of that person, is the relationship with that person. So, for example, when I am with my husband, I know my husband loves me, but when I'm with him, I really feel his love. Now, his love is, for me, is part of who he is. And love in a man and love in a woman is conditional. So somehow we project that kind of love onto God, and that's not who God is. God is not a conditional God. His love is not conditional. As a matter of fact, love is not puffed up. Um, love is, does not boast in itself. Love keeps no account of wrong done to it. Love is kind and gentle and meek and long-suffering. And love endures all. Love hopes all. But most importantly, love cannot fail. It's not possible for love to fail. But when we're still thinking that God is going to love us based on our choices, that if we do good, then God will bless us, and a lot of us get that from Deuteronomy, then we're missing the calculation. We're missing the mark, which to miss the mark is to sin. And then once we miss the mark, then the manifestation of sin will, will surface, the fruit of sin, which is lying, cheating, stealing, malice, hatred, unforgiveness, resentment, you know, and the like. So to, to miscalculate and misunderstand Deuteronomy where it says, I set, and that's Deuteronomy 28, where I set before you blessing and cursing life and death, and then it says choose life. What it's really saying is desire life. Desire it. Because you can't choose to love someone. The Bible, when it describes love, is not telling you something you should be doing. It's explaining a character of God, the character of God, which is infinite, by the way. So that's only some of the description of the character of God. So what does that tell me when I read that character of God and in light of who I am? It shows me that's not who I am. I am not God. I am not like that. I want to be like that. So what is my nature? What, what am I? My nature is the same as Eve's. Eve means to not have light. The same word where we get evening. It means when the sun goes down, when the sun is not visible, or when light is not visible, when God is not visible, when, it's not, when we're not able to see God. That's what the word Eve means. And the Bible says that if you who are evil can do good things for your children, how much more can the Father, or will the Father, do for those who love him. But he doesn't just do it for those who love him because he says he reigns on the just and the unjust. He loves the unlovely. He even loves his enemies. He instructs us to be perfect as he's perfect, and he loves his enemies. So the word Eve means to be a receiver. It means to be aware that you have no light of your own, but you can only reflect the light of the sun. It means to be aware that you have no um, you are not the spirit of revelation, wisdom, understanding, and truth. That God, and those are seven spirits of God. We're not the seven spirits of God. We're the place that the seven spirits of God dwell 
when we are aware that our own knowledge and our own understanding is not reliable. Now, as long as you think your own understanding and your own knowledge is reliable based on your past experiences and based on your own knowledge, then you're going to be in a place of perpetual spinning because we're relying on our own understanding. The Bible says, trust the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all of your heart means all of your emotions. Trust the Lord your God with all your emotions, all your heart. Don't trust your own understanding. Lean not. That means don't bow down. Don't self-worship. Don't acknowledge self. Why? Because yourself is going to be the first one to interpret your emotions. So trust the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Acknowledge God in how many of these ways? All. And he shall direct your path. So when we go through emotions of any kind, whether it's um, orchestrated like today, we're doing emotional release, or when you're walking in the way or driving or you meet somebody um, for the first time or you see someone that you haven't seen in a really long time and all of a sudden now you're triggered. The Bible says to acknowledge God in all of those emotions. And so we typically run from what we call triggers. And there's a reason there's a trigger on a gun. The reason it's there is to connect and to create friction so that friction will create a spark and that spark will cause that bullet to eject from the gun so that you can hit the target. Well, to hit the target is the same thing as to not miss the mark. To calculate the understanding is to not miss the mark. Well, how are you going to calculate the understanding if you can't lean into your own understanding? That's when you ask for the spirit of wisdom, spirit of knowledge, spirit of understanding, spirit of truth. You ask for God to shine the light in your heart, in the inside of you, in the Eve part of you. What is Eve part? The evening part, the dark part, the part where you can't see. You ask God to shine the light there because you know that your understanding don't work. You know you're not to lean unto it. And when you do, you're going to miss the mark, period. You're going to trust in your past experiences, which is what the word serpent means. And the serpent deceived her. So we lose our identity. What is our identity? My identity is that God created me a living soul. What's a living soul? A receiver. One who eats. A carnivore. When Jesus said, I have meat you know not of, he was going to the well to eat. From whom? The Father. So the Father could tell him everything he needed to know about the woman at the well. See, God was giving him understanding, wisdom, knowledge, truth about this woman. And he told her her whole story. Now, he knew that when he went about his way, that he said everything he heard the Father say, and he did everything that he, he saw the Father do. Now, you and I both know that when we say things like, well, God told me, people get offended by that, or they might think, really, like, does God talk to you? Well, then we must not believe that God talked to Jesus. Yes, God talks to us. As a matter of fact, the word prophet means one who can hear or see God. So when we say things like, you know, what did God tell you? Or lean not to your own understanding or trust God with your emotions. We're now coming to the realization that not everybody hears God. I wasn't really aware of that. Maybe call me ignorant. I don't mind. But in my early life, I heard God as a child. Then I went where I didn't hear God. And then I got really hungry and I cried out and said, God, I have to hear you. If I don't hear you, just 
I need to throw in the towel. And I began to hear God. But as I began to face people in their own sorrow and suffering, I realized people don't hear God. And Jesus commanded his disciples, he said, go and open their eyes and open their ears that hearing they might hear and seeing they might see. So that right there is a big clue that we don't see and hear God. And he tells us how we don't. He said, is your heart still hard? Do you still not hear? Is your heart still hard or calloused or waxed? Do you still not see? And so as disciples, we're, we're supposed to be making disciples. And so what was one of their jobs? Uh, go house to house, lay hands on people, annoy them with all, um, confess your sins one to another, pray the prayer of faith, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out devils. Um, all these different things he told us to do. Uh, and one of the things he told us to do was open their eyes and ears. And so when someone comes to me, or if they come to you, and, and we're, hope, we're helping them to open their eyes and ears, it's going to happen through the heart. It's going to happen through the emotion. And the nature of mankind, all mankind, is to shut that down. Our nature is, I don't want to feel, it's too painful, I've already felt that, I've already suffered enough, now I'm ready to have joy, I don't want to suffer, so I'm going to refuse to suffer. But the Bible says if we suffer with him, then we shall reign. And last night I was reading Song of Solomon, and they they become one in what they call their suffering love. And so you, I'm sure you remember that when we bring people through their past experiences and their emotions begin to flood like a, like a river or a dam, it gets very turbulent, it's suffering love. And then we take whatever that suffering is, whether it was physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, or neglect, or the like, we find all those places where Jesus suffered and we assist them as much as we're able to help them marry Christ in that emotion. So if you felt abandoned by someone, especially a father or a mother, then we take you to the place where Jesus felt abandoned. If you feel like you've cried with all your heart and you've all but sweat blood and your friends are asleep and no one's there with you and you're completely alone and God's not answering your prayer, we take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you feel betrayed by someone who's supposed to love you, we take you where Judas kissed him, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, just realizing that the Word of God that says, I set before you blessing and cursing, and the word blessing means to be cut or to be pierced. Knowing that that's what the Word says, that might give you strength to go into the place that's hard. Otherwise, even subconsciously, which means you're not even aware, there's a part of us that needs to blame. So who are we blaming? And if we're blaming people, are we ultimately not blaming God? Which literally means to vilify God or God's children. To vilify someone. And the Bible says that um, God will work all things together for our good, for those who called according to His purpose. And that he we will and he will be glorified in it. That means we'll be able to see him in it. And he says um, that which was meant for evil against you, God will turn it for your good. And in Isaiah forty five, it says, "I, the Lord God, form light, and I create darkness. I, the Lord God, do good and evil. I, the Lord God, do all these things." So evil doesn't mean all that we thought it means. It means to be dark. 
It means where the sun is not visible. It means a place of receiving. It means a place where it's the scripture that says, without him I can do nothing. It means one, who's, one who has no light of her own. And so if we recognize that we have no light of our own, it's only then in humility that we can rely upon him to give us sight, to give us understanding, to give us wisdom, to give us knowledge, and to reveal all truth. Why would we even want that? Because truth is what sets us free, because we cannot set ourselves free, nor can we set each other free.